Hi there, you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 116. I suppose there are people who would say, we just jumped and we had great success, but we really built this business and we also built our life because we moved from one culture to another. Hi, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire and you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped and now it's time to light it up. Welcome to Gift Biz Unwrapped, your source for industry-specific insights and advice to develop and grow your business. And now, here's your host, Sue Monheit. Before we get into the show, I have a question for you. Do you know that you should be out networking, but you just can't get yourself to do it because it's scary? Are you afraid that you might walk into the room and not know anybody? Or that you're going to freeze when you get up to do that infamous elevator speech where you talk about yourself and your business. Well, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't need to be scary if you know what to do. To help you with this, I would like to offer you a coffee chat. For the price of buying me a cup of coffee, we can sit down through an online video and I'll tell you everything that I know about networking and how I have personally built two multi-six-figure businesses, primarily through networking. You'll walk away with a solid understanding about how networking can truly grow your business. And you're going to have newfound confidence because I'm going to give you 10 fill-in-the-blank templates that you can use for your introduction message. To learn more about this opportunity, just go over to bit.ly forward slash network ninja. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash network ninja. And now, let's move on to the show. Hi there, it's Sue, and welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Whether you own a brick-and-mortar shop, sell online, or are just getting started, you'll discover new insight to gain traction and to grow your business. And today, I have the joy of introducing you to Pam Mercer of Tuscany Tours. Tuscany Tours is a small business owned and operated by Pam and her husband, Sam Hilt. They live and work from a small hilltop town near Siena, Italy. That is when they're not out touring with all of their travelers. But boy, doesn't that sound like just a little bit of heaven? It all started with a trip from California to Tuscany just over 25 years ago. Little did they know that this experience would change their thinking and change their lives. Their first official Tuscany tour was in 1997, and they've been growing ever since. Pam calls it a privilege to receive travelers and share the beautiful countries of Italy and France. In groups of no more than 16 people, she connects her travelers to local places and people, tastes, and traditions. Pam calls it magical, and I can see why. Pam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sue. That was a wonderful introduction. You stated beautifully what it is that we do. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear more. But before we get started, it's a tradition here on the show to have you describe yourself in a little bit more of a creative way. And that is by having us envision your ideal motivational candle that really speaks to you. So if you were to tell us the color and the quote on your very own candle, what would that be? Well, the color would be indigo blue, and there's the blue that the sky gets in Colorado. It also is the same, I've seen the same blue in Sicily, much deeper than a robin's egg blue, and it would simply say unplug, and that could be meditate in the morning or sit out and watch the sun rise. 
So it would be to take a moment every day where you are not tuned out through social media or relating to anyone else, but you are tuned in and connecting through the beauty of nature or through meditation to your spirit and your soul. I think that's so important. And a lot of people are really talking about this now because as people who own your businesses, there's so much stress that they're showing that some of that health-wise is really, really important and beneficial. Well, and you know, it's funny because there's this feeling when you own your own business that your work is never done. And there's some truth to that. But on the other hand, if you're constantly chasing it and constantly your brain is trying to problem solve, everyone talks about this, it's been proven scientifically that if we actually take some time away from that, then we can do everything so much better. And I think multitasking is really not a good idea for business owners, because then you really can potentially lose a really good solution that you might arrive at if you're really paying attention. And meditating or taking time out helps you to be able to develop that kind of attention. I agree with you there. Absolutely. All right, I want to go back to the beginning of your story, because it's so intriguing. Tell us what happened on that trip almost 25 years ago or so. What? How did everything get started? How did this idea form? This was back before Tuscany, sort of everyone came. So we had friends who had been living here. They had actually discovered this tiny little village. They said, come and visit us. So we came and visited. They were the only Americans who had lived, you know, in that area ever. And every afternoon in the summer, a lot of people would go and sit outside underneath this huge tree because it's really hot in the summertime in Italy. And we were working at that time in the corporate world, and we would sit out under the tree, and for the first half hour, we would twitch, you know, it's like people were doing nothing. They were reading, or playing cards, or reading the newspaper, or, you know, just talking. And after a while, though, we could feel time starting to shift, and we began to relax and really relate to the people that we were hanging out with. So we fell in love with the culture but also, Sam, my husband, was studying a Renaissance philosopher at the time, and we went to the Uffizi, which is where all the great Renaissance paintings are, and he saw the paintings, which he had seen many years before when he was in college traveling. But he said, I am going to switch my PhD, and I'm going to write about the paintings. And so that was sort of the germ of how it all got started. And then you fast forward to when he actually had his PhD completed, and the dean of the Unitarian Church, one of the colleges in San Francisco, Sam was teaching a class on sacred art, and the dean of that seminary asked him, would you like to do a two-week seminar in Tuscany, and I will market it to all of the Unitarians across the country? And by that time, Sam and I had been coming to Italy every time, every chance we could get on vacation for a few years. And Sam said, oh, yes, let's do that. And we didn't know at the time that we were going to have a three-month-old baby with us, but we committed. She sold out the tour. And then we discovered that, oh, okay, our first child is going to be born three months before that. And Sam said, you know, we don't have to do this. And I said, are you kidding me? We're going to do this. And so we did. Wow. That's crazy. Well, that could not have been a hard decision to say yes to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was all set up perfectly. It was. But this could have been a very pivotal point, Pam. And I think this is interesting for our listeners to think about is you had every reason to say, you know what, not right now. 
because your daughter was being born. She would have been young and, you know, there is definitely another element to the whole trip. But you said, no, we're still doing it. That's actually a really interesting point for people who are wanting to start their own businesses, because I think a lot of times we think, well, you know, we can't do this if the kids are little. And making sort of just committing, yes, you can do it. And sometimes, in fact, it's even better because you can, you know, our kids used to travel with us and you have to get support. We had a nanny, obviously, because I didn't want to be leading a group and having somebody need something and not being able to meet that need to get your kids involved in your business and help them to understand, I run this business and I am going to not be able to be there at dinner with you, but tomorrow for lunch, we will sit down together and I will focus on you. So it can be a deterrent, but it can also be something really wonderful for your kids to see. Sure, because they're really experiencing that side of the business with you. So there's a little bit of ownership there too. Yeah, and learning how grown-ups take responsibility and can be creative and have an entrepreneurial spirit. I bet my kids will someday run their own businesses because they've always seen us do that. Sure. So as your business was advancing, how did it come to be that you decided, because you were living in California for a while, and then when did you make the switch and how did you guys decide, all right, you know what, we're leaving America, we're planting ourselves 100% over in Italy? We did it slowly. It's funny because I suppose there are people who would say we just jumped and we had great success, but we really built this business and we also built our life because we moved from one culture to another and we did that very slowly, building a group of friends here, building a community so that when we came, we would all feel that we were coming to something that was already created. And after we did that first seminar, We created a website that was called Welcome to the Renaissance, but the URL was www.tuscanytours.com. And that URL has really been the backbone of our business success. Oh, for sure. That was way back before the term superhighway had even been created. But we were doing it part-time, so we had this wonderful job. We were consultants. We called our own time, and we would always say when we signed a contract, look, we're gone. We will come, but we won't be around during that time. So we would come over and lead one or two tours a year, and we kept doing both. We had a corporate training company. We would do that, and then we would come over and do this. And now I'm going to wait for just a minute because the bells are ringing. Oh, is that what it is? Those are bells? Yeah. That is super. Okay, so Gift Biz listeners, you have to understand, Pam is in Italy right now. Describe where you are for everybody right now, just real quick. Okay, so I'm sitting looking out at beautiful stone walls with those gorgeous tiles on them. And the bells are ringing for the 6 o'clock mass. And at least 20 people from the little village, which there are only 250 people, will be going over to the 6 o'clock mass. You may hear them talking outside my window. And it's really as beautiful and magical as you imagine it to be. That's wonderful. And I'm so glad that that's happening right while we're here recording. That's perfect. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, you know, the Tuscans still really have a relationship to time that's very much controlled by the hours of the day. For instance, at the end of the day, there's a bell that tells everybody it's evening, come in from the fields, even though nobody's out working in the fields anymore. And, you know, they have their cell phones to tell them what they're doing. But the bells ring on the hour, every hour. They stop at midnight. They start again at seven. Time is marked in this really beautiful way. 
Oh, that's wonderful. While we're on this subject, because you just heard Pam explain a little bit about the culture, and that's what is so great about your tours. I've been fortunate enough to go girl trip on a tour (laughs) with you. We had five of our family members all together. We were probably like part of your tour group that you worry about because we were all so crazy. However, I know a lot about the value that you bring with the group. Explain a little bit about your theory, I guess, or your mission behind your tours. You know, it's so interesting because one of the things that I feel like we've sort of lost a bit in the culture in America is that slow time. And there's, you know, a huge movement now in Italy and I think in America too, slow travel, slow food. And the idea is that you really take time over a meal and you enjoy your food and you really have a conversation. And one of the things that Sam, my husband, does with art is he has this way of opening up the art in a way that your imagination is really interacting with and encountering the art. Yes, it's important who painted it and when, but that's like such a minor thing. The rest of it is, okay, look at that face from this angle. What do you see? How does it look? Now walk around to the other side. And your imagination wakes up and you start to encounter these sculptures, which when they were created, people who were looking at them actually believed that they could communicate to you, not straightforwardly, but in a magical, artistic way. So we're sort of trying to give people a deep experience. That's what I would say of the art, the food, which is extraordinary, the wine, and then just to give them a place where they can breathe. We have sometimes three-hour meals and people will say, oh my gosh, that was just amazing. I learned so much from the people at the table that I was sitting and talking with. Somebody once said it's like camp for grown-ups. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, and you do, you get immersed, just like you were talking about earlier when you were sitting under that tree one of the first times that you were there and it took a little while to click into like a slower pace and just living, just being, not thinking about the next project you had to do or something like that. Tours so often are just that. You sit, you have lunch real quick and you gotta do it fast because you have tickets to go to the next observation or site or whatever. And so you're always running so fast And pretty soon the trip is over, but you haven't really necessarily experienced anything. What I found when I traveled with you is we got a lot of that really deep experience and counterintuitive a little bit because it was slower, but the experiences were deeper. You know, that's interesting, too, because I'm trying to think about how to relate that to people who are wanting to start their own businesses. In some ways, we really did not follow a path of let's create a tour company, you know, which is what we have, but that's not what we created. We took something we loved and we went a different direction with it than most people would if they were starting a tour company. For us, it's much more about the art, the experience. We didn't say, okay, how can we put in all these things so that we'll attract the most amount of people? It was more like, okay, we're going to have less people who will want to travel with us because we're going to attract the people who probably don't want to go on a tour, but they want these other things that we're offering. So we found something we loved and we sort of went a different direction than everybody else was going. And that's a way to maybe think about if you're starting a business or you want to follow your passion is, what do I love about it that nobody else is doing with it? Absolutely, because then what you're doing is defining yourself and separating yourself to be different than anybody else. 
And that also then can go through all of your marketing. And just like you're saying, Pam, you're not going to be the one for everybody, but there is a group of people out there who so want what you offer and you're the only one. You're unique in that way. Some people think that when the audience is smaller, it's going to make it harder. It actually makes it easier. Yeah, that's the point. I think you just put your finger on it. That's exactly the point. And it works. You're telling us it works, and I know it works because you keep expanding more tours and all of that. But I thought this was really interesting too, Pam. You and I last week when I started asking you about whether you would be on the show had just come back from Poland. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, are you guys expanding into Poland? And what did you tell me? I said, no, I went there because I'm a singer. That's what I do on the side. And I went to a singing workshop and I would never want to go past France or Italy, maybe Spain. We're probably going to add a little bit in Spain. It's for two reasons. One, one of our goals is to connect travelers to real people in an area. So not just like we call an incoming tour operator and say, give us any guide on this date. But we want to meet all of the guides. We want to know their personalities. And we want to choose the ones who fit our travelers. So we spend at least six to six weeks to three months overall in a place before we will ever even begin to think about an itinerary for a trip. So that's one thing. And then our expertise is really in the area of Italy and France. Poland is a completely different culture. The Italians and the French think they're really different, but there's a lot of similarities there. And we don't want to try to step out of our area of expertise. So when you're growing, you're growing, but still within what you already do and are known for versus bringing on another layer. I think so. And I also think that we at some point had to make a decision to not grow past a certain point. And I'll give you an example. At some point in time, we decided, Sam and I go on all the tours. It's either both of us or one or the other of us. Then we also have local guides who people meet and they always write and say, oh, how's Chiara or how's Lior? We miss them, you know, so they get to meet local guides. And then we oftentimes will have an escort who goes on the tour with either me or with Sam. So we give a lot of real hands-on attention. But at some point in time, we realized we can't do more than 10 to 12 tours a year because we will burn out. So how can we use the knowledge we have and go in yet another direction. And so what we decided is that we would do some trip planning for people who want to come, but they don't want to go on a tour. But we'll set them up with the guides we've met. We'll send them to the restaurants where the people we know own the restaurants and know they're coming from us. And we'll provide them with a magical trip that we may or may not meet them, but we're sharing the resources that we have. And at a certain point in time, if someone calls me and they say, well, we want you to plan our trip, I may have to say, I'm sorry, I can't because right now I have too many travelers and I don't want to not give you the attention you need, nor do I want to pull my attention away from them. And that's a scary thing to say no to work. <laughs> you know. But in the long run, it works because then my sort of philosophy is, and I suppose, you know, this is an American business philosophy, I think, that is really true. If you deliver what you are promising with the best quality and the most care, and you follow through, that is the greatest key to your success. Right. You know, in your example, if you were to rush through because you didn't want to say no, the product that you produce for them may be subpar. And that's not what you want to start getting known for either. Right. It's true. 
So I think Gift Biz listeners, there are a couple of really important business guidelines that we've just talked about. So I want to review them real quick. The first one is sticking to the core of what you're already known for. Okay, so in this example, Cam is known for the culture of the countries that she's working within, the knowledge that she has. I mean, that's her core business. That's what she knows. So an extension of that core can be individual tours, but this idea of picking up a country that is totally different in culture, like Poland would be, isn't where she should go. So she's staying with her core. So relate that a little bit to your business or what you're thinking about with your business. The second thing is she's talking about her level of growth, you know, and how much she wants to actually do. We're so fortunate as business owners that we can define how big our business is going to be. And continual growth, growing, 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 may not be the best thing for you. I mean, there may be a certain point where you want to cap it and say, this is as much as I can do because this allows me to retain the happiness and the joy and the passion that I had in my business in the first place. If you try to always continue to grow and grow, you might grow yourself right out of what you loved and why you started what you're doing in the first place. Couple of things to think about there. Pan, I want to switch it up a little bit because I know you're going to have some really interesting things to talk about on this angle and that is customer service because clearly you are interacting with your customers you have to that is the business not only when you're on the tours but before the tours after the tours potentially all of that how do you work with your customers to make sure that from the initial point of contact they're getting a stellar experience all the way through Well, let's talk about the tours that we do first. And it's interesting because we actually do set up a private Facebook page for our group so nobody else can see it and no one else is a part of it except for the people who travel. And that's been a really wonderful thing for us. And here are the bells again. (laughs) Just to remind you, if you didn't hear them the first time. We're going to have a musical podcast today. That's all. (laughs) So funny. I think it's sort of like, that's very Italian. It's like, we'll ring them at six. You know, people are kind of slow and they sort of forget that we rang them. We'll ring them again and eventually we'll all arrive at mass. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) So these Facebook groups, are they individual per tour or is it for anyone who's taken a tour? We have right now individual pages and eventually we will have one for anybody who has traveled with us in the past. I will tell you about the individual pages first. It's a wonderful way for people to get information. One of the people who works for us, her name is Karen, and she is fantastic about saying, okay, here's a video of the Duomo. Here's 10 things you need to know about packing. So they get a lot of information through that Facebook page. We've even had people who were on it in an airport and they would say, I'm in the Chicago airport and I'm about to leave. And somebody else who was coming on the tour who they didn't know would say, hey, where are you? We're over at Joe's Bar and Grill. And they would say, oh, yeah, come on over. So they would meet up before they even came because they were messaging, you know, on Facebook. So it's a way of creating a community before people arrive. And it's also a way of giving people the information because when you travel, you need to know a lot of things. So that's one thing. And then we are in the process of setting up a traveler's page for people who have gone on any tour at any point of time. And the reason for that is that people have started now coming on two tours, three tours, four tours. And there's sort of this Tuscany Tours community. Well, not sort of, there is. And they all speak to each other a lot on my Facebook page because I friend people who travel with us. 
And they share information and they share memories and they share photos and people start to get interested in people's lives. That has sort of happened, not intentionally on my part, but it's been a byproduct of Facebook. And it's been a wonderful thing. It helps people to sort of feel connected to the world of travel, to Italy, to food, and then to each other. Yeah, and to feel connected in an easy way, because so many times with a trip afterwards, you'll get people's email addresses, but it's still a challenge to stay together. And on Facebook, you know, when you create a Facebook group like what you're talking about, so much easier just to be able to jump in real quick, see what's going on, add your two cents, and really stay connected. The power of Facebook groups, everybody, cannot be underestimated. Everyone who's in the group starts to feel a little bit of ownership, contributes. So even though you need to jump in or have a community manager who's looking at the group from time to time, they really do start fueling themselves. It's really true, you know, and I now have people who are Facebook friends who one person's been on that tour, one person's been on that tour, and they've never been on a tour together, but they're constantly talking about whatever they're interested in. And one of the things that that can do for a business is it helps people see that you're real. Because there are people who are real, who are relating to you. Especially if it's an online business, people want to understand that you really exist. And if they see other people relating to you through the Facebook page, they get a sense of like, well, those people are talking to her. She must be real. You know? Yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Facebook pages, I think, really help establish credibility, especially if you're really interacting for real when it's not just marketing. Most of our travelers are from the U.S., I would say 75%. And then we have Canadians, people from South Africa, really people from English-speaking countries, a lot of travelers from Australia. The Australians and the Texans love to travel. We get a lot of people from Texas. Interesting. And so just one final comment, I guess, on the Facebook groups is when you're talking about it makes people know that you're real. That's really important because of the international flow. If you're not in the same country, you might be able to relate a little less or are a little bit more concerned. And this totally eliminates any concern on that part. That's a really good point. And sometimes people don't even realize that we live in Italy full time. They think, oh, they are now, they'll be back. Another point, this is not just exactly connected to what we were just saying, but if you're an expert in an area and part of what your business is about is sharing your expertise, Facebook can be a brilliant way to do that. I mean, I love to post paintings and then write a little something about them or post an article about the top 10 restaurants in Florence and say, oh my gosh, the top three, they're horrible. <laughs> I've been there recently. <laughs> so it's a way for me to share the fact that I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. I live here. Right. And Facebook is a way of showing that. Excellent. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, I'm going to twist this a little bit, possibly make you a little bit less comfortable, Pam. <laughs> Is there a time when you had an issue with some of your travelers or something happened that you really were challenged about how you were going to deal with the situation? I'm thinking all in the, under the umbrella of customer service because we all know we're all different as people and dealing with people can sometimes get challenging. Is there one that you saw that you're like, oh my gosh, this was such a struggle. And then what did you do to make it all okay in the end? 
this is an uncomfortable question. I'm sure it would be for anybody. I'm a perfectionist. And so when I can't fix something, it's very difficult. And actually, this is something I think if you are going to own your own business, I've had to learn this, but you sort of have to be able to face, was it a mistake that I made that I could have controlled and I really should have done something differently? Or was it a mistake that was really out of my control and I can't lose sleep over it because I really couldn't have controlled it and then just let it go? And so like an example of the first thing is I had a couple arrive once in Venice and their hotel had not been booked. We had booked it, but we hadn't gotten the final confirmation. The hotel thought we didn't really want it. So they arrived. They're exhausted. They have no hotel room. Totally my fault. (laughs) And so I had to fix that. And they loved their trip. And, you know, the way I fixed it was by finding them a wonderful hotel and calling my friend Diane. She's married to an Italian and she owns one of the best restaurants in Venice. And I said, Diane, I need to send these folks to have dinner with you and just I'll pay you later. And she said, of course, of course. So they went to Alcovo, had a wonderful dinner and they forgave me because I think they realized that we're all human and sometimes mistakes happen. Now, that's the only time that's ever happened, knock on wood, but it was my mistake. I had to fix it. They allowed me to fix it and forgave me for my mistakes. That was a good time. Let me stop you here and just make a point about that. There's a couple of things that are really great. Number one, you have personal connection with a lot of contacts. A lot of them are the people that you are going to the restaurants with, hotels. So forming those relationships, the value for our gift biz listeners, they're probably more vendors, you know, people who they're getting product from perhaps, whatever it is, that allowed you to call in a favor when you really, really needed it. I think the other thing I want to point out, again, for our listeners is sometimes when you make a mistake, it's a golden opportunity because just like Pam did, she took responsibility for what happened. And not only did she correct it, she overcorrected. So it's an opportunity to really show that the value of your business lies in the experience that your customers have. So you get to go above and beyond. And I would guess that this couple, Pam, went back and talked about how great the trip was and the fact that they had this super fabulous dinner as a make good for what happened. So it probably put you in even a better light, even though initially it was a challenge and a struggle. It totally paid off. They've been back again and they refer people to me all the time. That's not why I did it as much as I really wanted them to have a magical time. And it was totally disturbing to me that it was starting off not magical. So I had to make it magical. I had to do a twist to make it magical. And it did work. It does. I mean, I think customer service is like obviously caring so much is a lot of what causes success. So a good point. So if we're ever in that situation, what we should do is just stop for half a second and think, okay, how can I turn this around so that it'll be really, really good for the customer, most importantly? And, you know, what can I do to turn this from a lemon into lemonade? The best example I can say right now. All right. So you were talking about this one you were in control of. I think you had one that you were going to share with us about when you weren't. Okay. There was one that I couldn't fix. It was actually a kind of accumulation of things. We will buy tickets for our private clients to go and see things like Michelangelo's David, the Borghese Gallery, so that they have a reservation. We had bought tickets for a family of seven to see the Borghese Gallery. And the day before they were to see it, I got an email that said, we've oversold the Borghese Gallery and you won't be able to get these tickets. 
We had ordered them months before. We had paid for them. And I didn't even know. I'd never experienced that. And why that was able to happen is kind of a long background story. But it happened. And it it was like, I had to tell this family who was only in Rome one day, I'm sorry, you can't go to see the Borghese Gallery. I had my staff working, trying to see if there were any tickets anywhere else. We probably spent 10 hours just go here, go there, call that person, do this. And we couldn't fix it. And it was horrible for me. And yet I knew that there was nothing, you know, that I did everything I could to mitigate it and fix it. And I couldn't. So finally, you know, after three or four days of having a knot in my stomach, I just said, I got to let go of this. I just have to let go of it and also never use that company again. (laughs) It was a reputable company, though, and you do have to buy tickets from someone. There is all of that. But when somebody else does something, you can't control it. That's when it's really hard. But you have to let go of it. I think the quality of your life will just be horrible if you are constantly worrying about everything. Yeah. So what did you do? How did you approach the customer and what did you do with them for that day then? We offered them a different experience. They were not happy, and I think they did not ever forgive me for it. (laughs) So I had to get over that, too, because they were people that I really cared about. I had worked with them and cultivated a relationship, and I really did care about them. So that was hard. I had to say, okay, I'm sorry that that was your reaction, but I really couldn't control that one. But I was very clear. I mean, immediately when we found out, when I got this email, I forwarded it to the clients and I said, look, I need to let you know that I just got this email and I am now going to go to work to try to fix the problem. And this is actually interesting because sometimes you don't want to let your client know that you have a problem because you might be able to fix it. But in that case, I really needed their expectation. If they had the expectation that they were going to do this, Plus, I needed to find an alternative that they would like. And the more time I had to find that, the better off I was. And so I wanted their input. If I can't fix this, you know, what's your next thing that you would like to do the most that I can help happen? Well, it's a good point because unfortunately, we can't control everything as much as we try to. Unfortunately, there will be times when a customer is disappointed after you've done everything you can. And sometimes, and I found this in my business, although it's rare, luckily, sometimes a customer just isn't a good fit. You know, it's just not going to work out. And so sometimes you have to let those customers go. You know, in this case, I think the customer was a good fit. It was just their disappointment. But what you just said made me really think of something, which is, you know, that old term from sales of qualifying your customer. One of the things that I do for our tour business is I call people when they request information and they give a phone number and I'm calling them obviously because I'd like to sell my tours to them. But at the same time, I'm really telling them what we are like and finding out what they are like and whether they're a good fit. And there are some people who I will call and I will talk to them and I will say, I don't think we're the right company for you. Either you need to go to a more luxurious tour company where you're going to be staying at five-star hotels, or maybe Rick Steves is a better fit for you. Hey, there's a plug for Rick Steves. There you go. (laughs) It's like, or whatever it is. And that works so well, because then when I get these groups on tours, everybody always says, oh my God, are all your groups this amazing? And I say, they are. And it's because... When I talk to them, they know whether they like what I do, what we do, and they know whether it's right for them, and I know whether they're right for us. That's a huge key to our success is getting the right fit. 
I love that. And, you know, there's also a responsibility in a way, indirectly, to the rest of the people who are in the group. Because you want everyone to feel good about being together and be comfortable with each other. To the extent, I mean, you're not in control of that either, but just by knowing what their expectations are and their personalities a little bit helps to make that work properly too. It's true. Well, we could go on. You have so much great information, Pam. We could go on for so long, but I want to circle into now a couple of things that you perhaps do in your day to make sure that everything comes across properly. Is there a tool or something that you use physically, like so in the office that you're using all the time, maybe it's a scheduler, I'm not sure what it is in your industry, but that you think would be valuable for our listeners to know about? Well, I have a colleague who works in California. So we have a California office. And then we have a woman who works part time in Florence, Italy, and then she's part time in Florida in the US. And we now have just started working with a wonderful young woman here in Italy. So the four of us really need to be able to communicate with each other a lot. And we use WhatsApp and we use Skype. We have Skype meetings at least once a week. And we use a team project management program. It's not really project management, but it's more like having a team to-do list. It's called Asana. Some of us love Asana. Some of us hate it. <laughs> we're, still, you know, <laughs> we're still kind of trying to get our minds around it. But within that, I will say that one of the things that has been helpful for me is to try to define what tools we communicate on. And by that, I mean, in Skype, we have meetings where we have conversations. But if somebody texts me in Skype and says, I need this from you, I say to them, oh, yes, remember that when you need something from me, you send me an email. Because I'm not going to go back through Skype and try to figure out what my action items are. So Skype is for talking. Email is for what you need, and WhatsApp is for talking. There are all these technologies out there for communicating, and I think if you have to go and look at all of them to figure out what is needed from you, it can make your brain blow up. So defining, and I have clients now who will start to text me on Messenger, and I'll say, you know, Paulette, would you mind please sending me an email? Because I want to steer her away from thinking because I don't look at Messenger every day, but I look at email every day. So qualifying your technology as to what you're going to use each thing to do, I think is a helpful thing. That is really smart. And then making sure you're continually educating people that that's where they should go for this particular project, etc. Yes. I actually used a VA in the Philippines after we're done right now. I let her know that this is done just by what I put on the little boards and that I've ticked off my responsibilities. So she'll know then and can pick it up and she'll do the initial edits. And then it triggers back to me to review the final edits, you know, and all the other stuff that we do. But so it's nice because you can just see right in Asana when the project's getting handed back to you. So anybody who's in that type of a situation, I agree with you, Asana's fabulous in that manner. And Pam, great description in terms of different technologies for specific purposes. I love that. That's perfect. In terms of keeping yourself up to date with the industry or possibly the culture or new things that are going on, is there a book or some other resource that you continually go back to to help you stay up to date? Oh, yes. And it's interesting because once again, Facebook helps me. I have so many connections to particularly 
food people and like Alec Lebrano in France. And I rely on his going out and eating at all the restaurants in Paris. So I don't have to because, you know, I can't really do that. But he does. And I have identified that his taste is my taste. And my clients are probably also going to be more like me and more like him. Katie Parla is a wonderful food blog, history, wonderful, incredible person in Rome. Elizabeth Mincilli, she's got great apps. I'm a generalist. And one of the things I love is finding specialists that I can then connect my clients to. And there are people out there who are writing on the street food in Sicily. That's their thing. And so I find them and I find them by doing online research. I find them because they're connected through other writers that I connected with on Facebook. Sometimes I'll find them in travel and leisure, although I feel like that tends to be more of a generalist and less of a specific place. But one person's blog that is listing all the people they read is worth a million dollars. Absolutely. Would you be able to email me three of your favorites that I could include in the show notes page? I would love to. All right, that'll be awesome. I just thought of somebody else, Kathy McCabe at Dream of Italy. She's got this amazing way of finding these little experiences that are way off the beaten path, and she writes beautifully about them. She has a magazine called Dream of Italy that we all read and use as well. Yeah, I'll send you links. Perfect. And also, while we're here, why don't you give a little bit of an introduction into Sam's book? Sam actually has four books out there. The one about our lives here is called Turning Tuscan, and it will make you be careful that you're not drinking red wine when you read it, because at one point you will laugh out loud and you will spit your wine across the room. (laughs) He loves this place, but he's not writing from the romantic point of view. He's writing from the realist comedic point of view. He has a chapter called David's Penis, for instance, (laughs) and he has a chapter on toilet seats. It's a very intriguing book, and it's not really along the lines of, I came here, it was so wonderful, I loved it, and everything was cool. It was like, oh my God, I came here, and it made my head spin, and here are some things I noticed along the way. Very fun. All right, and Gift Biz listeners, just as you're listening to the podcast today, you can also listen to audiobooks. I'm not sure if any of Sam's books are on Audible, but I've teamed up with Audible for you to be able to get an audiobook for free on me if you haven't done so already. So if that's of interest to you, just jump over to giftbizbook.com and you can make a selection of your first book. That is giftbizbook.com. Pam, I now want to invite you to Dare to Dream. I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What's inside your box? Ooh, that's a very, very good question. I think my goal is actually pretty basic. Or it's not a goal, it's a dream, because I haven't yet started to do anything about it. I would love to have retreats for women which are not motivational. And by that, what I mean is we're not trying to improve ourselves. We are going away and we are going to not look at email or, well, WhatsApp you'd have to have because you'd want to be able to have access to your kids. (laughs) You know, that's the thing you cannot go away from. But you spend the morning 
in silence, reading, painting, walking, nobody talks, but you're there in a community. Then you have an amazingly wonderful lunch, some wine. You go and you do an activity like, you know, you go to an art museum with a guide or you have somebody come and talk to you about the fabrics of the Renaissance or whatever the group is interested in. You have dinner together. And obviously you would talk about your business, your kids, your struggles, but it would mostly be an unplug. This goes back to at the beginning, my candle, just a time for people to really nurture their souls. And so that's a dream I've had for a long time. I'm so busy with my daily running of the business that I haven't figured out a way to try to actualize that. So it's a good thing that you came along to push me. Well, it's so interesting because I was so curious where this was going when you first started. But the other thing that made me think about this a little bit too, Pam, is this would open you up to possibly some local people too. Because how often do you sit, like I'm only 20 miles from Chicago. I never go in there, you know, because I always think, well, it's so close. I'll access it later. You know, I mean, I do go down to the city sometimes, but there's so much around that maybe even some of the local people, little village over or so, don't really experience because it's so close they don't even think about it. So that could be a whole new audience for you, actually, as well as travelers (laughs) coming in. Who knows? (laughs) But I love that idea and, you know, just the whole concept of Unplugged, which I'll go back to in a second. But Gift Biz listeners, we've covered a lot. You know that there's going to be a show notes page. I'm going to have all of Pam and Sam's links so you can see everything about Tuscany Tours, the social media sites, all of that. There'll also be links to all of these resources, the blogs that Pam's been talking about. So all of that will be over on the show notes page at giftbizunwrap.com. And Pam, this has been absolutely fabulous. You have exceeded my expectations because there's a lot of things that we've gotten into that I wasn't anticipating and really, really some great information. You have like the dream job. I think all of us could look in and say, oh my gosh, if only we could be Pam. (laughs) Because you're living in an area that is so beautiful and so interesting and so peaceful. And this whole idea of being able to unplug, I think all of us want to be there and be experiencing that. So thank you for sharing that concept with us also. That's something that we can take from you and all try to incorporate a little bit in our lives right now, actually. Again, thank you for meeting up with me on a Friday night. We know it's Friday and we know lots of people have plans because those bells had to keep ringing (laughs) to get them there. My wish for you is, of course, that the business continues to grow to the point and in the way that you would want. And Pam, may your candle always burn bright. Thank you so much. Where are you in your business building journey? Whether you're just starting out or already running a business and you want to know your setup for success, find out by taking the Gift Biz Quiz. Access the quiz from your computer at bit.ly slash giftbizquiz or from your phone by texting giftbizquiz to 44222. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us for the next episode. Today's show is sponsored by the Ribbon Print Company. Looking for a new income source for your gift business? Customization is more popular now than ever. Brand your products with your logo or print a happy birthday Jessica ribbon to add to a gift right at checkout. It's all done right in your shop or craft studio in seconds. Check out the ribbonprintcompany.com for more information. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. 
And thank you to those who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.